you have to market the quality of your product. You have to do everything to make your animal stand out. You have to, you know, do a pedigree, you know, have a website, uh, keep track of the, the litter, keep track of the parents, do things that'll make it stand out. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Okay. Hey! <laughs> I don't like when you do that. It reminds me of uh, Jim Carrey in The Mask when you make that face. <laughs> That's not good. Um, he had such a long face in that. Um, yeah, when you open your mouth like that, it gives you a long face. Jesus Christ. Okay. How do I get my confidence back? Uh, hey. Oh, Lilypad sent Tim Cook, but that's the CEO of Apple, dude. Come on. Um, Lilypad's better than that. Larry Page. I got it. But well, there's also like a, a basketball player. Um, Larry, Larry Bird. <laughs> <laughs> no, but isn't there a basketball player whose last name is Paige? Uh, no, there's Larry. There's only one Larry in basketball. There's a Paige. There is a Paige. I, I, I can't. I can't think of the first name though. But there is a famous Paige. I mean, there's got to be a Paige. Last name. <laughs> pretty popular last name. <laughs> okay, let's go. We're wasting so Sorry. much fucking time. Sorry, um, guys. What, do you know what number podcast is? Welcome to number 57 of From the Ground Up. That may or may not be true, just like I say pretty much every week. So maybe we should stop saying what number it no, is. No, it's not 57. Um, if you guys want to check know. out, we... <laughs> it is 57. I like... Oh, you're, see, you're right. I'm on top of it. So, t-shirts, portcitypythons.com. Hey, we're actually both We are actually both wearing our t-shirts oh, for the first time. I would have worn a different t-shirt, but I spilled beer all over the first one when I took the first sip of... On my tannish grayest t-shirt. But anyway, to I got that. a new t-shirt. <laughs> and uh, so you, you, no, you, this was totally totally planned that we were both gonna rep exactly. Ourselves. This is totally planned because I want to ask you to support the podcast by buying a t-shirt or following our Amazon affiliate links. And all you do is buy your regular Amazon things after following the links below in our um, info on all of our YouTube videos and podcasts. Um, Carpet Fest is coming up. That's pretty much all we got to say about that. You can hit us up, Evan up, Ivory Mon King up, mm-hmm. but mostly Evan. Oh, also this. Uh, well, never mind. We're we're not. We're probably not going. But this weekend in Dallas, Texas area is Lone Star. What do we just? We just plug in everyone's reptile shows now. Yeah, they're gonna think we're sponsored. We're doing by that daily, shit or, or we're doing. <laughs> We're like the calendar. Yeah, that's what the whole thing is, telling upcoming events. All right, well, if you guys want to go in Dallas, Texas, we won't be there. <laughs> but but, the only one but Ryan Sullivan to. of Ivory Connection will yeah, be if there. Yeah, you want to hang out with Ryan. Andy. He likes Hunt. Blue Moon. Yeah. Andy likes, Andy will be fine. I don't know, but okay, we're wrangling. <laughs> he makes his own. Okay, but another cool guy who will not be at Lone Star is our guest tonight. <laughs> Segway. Do you like that transition? <laughs> I thought that was really good. She's a professional. So good at this. You're going to do the whole intro now that you started? Okay. Well, his name is Dayton. I'm scared to say your last name. Croydon. Croydon. There you go. Of HD Arboreals, which I don't know. See? Yeah. 
Go. All right, so today we have Dane from HDR Arboreals. He keeps Corrales, and we're going to talk a little bit about Amazon tree boas. Um, Dane, how did you get into Amazons? Um, well, I got into Amazons, uh, my, I guess it was right after my senior year of high school um, in 2007. And uh, I, I decided I needed a hobby. And um, keeping rep- reptiles is something I've done uh, on and off since I was a kid. And uh, so I, I kind of went that route. And uh, I, I never attempted to breed anything uh, when I was younger. I just kept like a random assortment of, you know, different species and stuff like that. And, and so this time um, I, I decided that I, I'd like to kind of do my research and pick out a species that I'd be interested in breeding. Um, and I wanted something that was very variable in colors, um, and, and maybe something that I could start kind of on the ground level, uh, you know, not, not, not something that was very mainstream. Mm -hmm. Um, and I happened to come across, uh, an Amazon Trebo online and and I kind of did a little bit of research on it and it it seemed the right fit. I, I I was kind of scared of incubating eggs because at the time, I was like, well, I can get a corn snake. You know, they come in all different kinds of colors and, and they've got all these mutations and everything like that. And uh, and I was scared to incubate eggs. So that's kind of how I, I was on the boas. I was like, yeah, I'll do the boas. They, uh, they give live birth. And uh, yeah, so I think I think the weird I, thing there is that people would usually <laughs> say their first concern would be, I don't want to get bit. So they would get <laughs> Right, right. I thought that. So was... why are the eggs the hang up there? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I mean, in, in hindsight, uh, some eggs can be tricky to incubate. Uh, you know, getting off a little off topic, but I used to keep chondro pythons or green tree pythons, um, and those eggs are seem to be pretty finicky. Um, but I think colubrid eggs are pretty uh, pretty solid when it comes to that. So I, I was, uh, I don't know. It was on, un- and it was unreasonable for me to be scared of that part. Um, I don't like getting bit, uh, and I don't get bit that often. And and when I do, it's it's usually from a like a neonate or or a yearling or something like that. My adults don't bite me very often. Yeah. So one question, I mean, I think we all get a lot is whatever species it is, people tend to want green tree pythons or Amazons or Corallus in general as a first snake or whatever. So what was your first snake and how do you kind of lead up to eventually the Amazon? My first snake was a ball python. Um, and I had to convince my mom to let me have it. This was in like seventh grade or something like that. Uh, I had to get straight A's for a year or something, something like that in middle school. Um, and so I ended up doing that and I, I got to have a ball python. Um, so that was my first snake. Uh, it, it didn't really, it wasn't like a progression up to Amazon tree boas though. I, I, I kept, you know, various species kind of randomly. Uh, you know, I had the jungle carpet python, a red tail boa, ball python, uh, savannah monitor. Um, and then when I got into high school, maybe my sophomore year, I got out of reptiles. Um, and I kind of, uh, did the uh, like smoking pot and hanging out with girls thing? So I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> so I I, uh, I didn't keep 
uh, reptiles at that time. And, and then, you know, a few years later, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to have a hobby. So I started right then and there with, uh, Amazon tree bows. <laughs> so started smoking pot and keeping smoke. You just took out the girls. <laughs> so as far as um, Amazon goes, what was what were you looking for initially? Like, do you think there's a big discrepancy <clears throat> between captive born and then the maybe captive born in quotation marks imported <laughs> animals? Um, I wasn't super concerned with that to start off with. Uh, I remember seeing uh, you would call it a, a Halloween type garden phase or whatever the the very like heavily patterned uh, black animals that as babies have uh, orange pattern on them. Um, I, I saw one of those for like I don't know 150 bucks and I was like holy shit I've never seen a snake like that in my life you know like and uh, I bought it and. It, it, it kind of went slow. You know, I had that one for probably a year before I got another one and, and I kept it in like a naturalistic vivarium and I had plants in there and lights and everything. And, um, it did fine. Uh, and I ended up kind of, kind of deciding that I wanted to breed them. And, and when I decided that, uh, I kind of decided that I wanted to be the best at it after that. Um, and, uh, I'm not saying that I am, uh, but I, I've come a long way and uh, I've got quite a collection compared to what I used to have. And I, this was like, yeah, I was going through college and, and coming out of high school and, and working and stuff like that. And I would pretty much spend all my extra money on uh, tree boas and do, you know, six month payment plans and uh, spend ridiculous amounts of money, uh, amounts, amounts of money that people, uh, you know, adults think is a ridiculous amount of money. I, I, I spent more money on, on a single snake than I have on a car. Uh, and I'm 28 years old now. So we get really jaded about money. Like we will, it's weird guys. And with other hobbies, like we just spend, you know, $500 or a thousand dollars, like on a whim for an animal. Like, I don't know if there's any other hobby. Oh, where yeah. Throw money like, like knives that. and guns and yeah, shit. That's so silly, right? <laughs> what do you mean? There's lots of male hobbies where they drop that money. It's just weird that males have these hobbies where you just. I mean, because girls just go drop it on shoes or purses. <laughs> so. Everyone's got their vices. So, what's I guess like... shoes get worn out, but with, but with you know, guns, you have it uh, with a living animal. Uh, if you fuck up or you don't know what you're doing, uh, it dies and there goes the money that you spent on it. So yeah, it's, I don't know. It's good to do your homework. How do you, um, know to invest either in a certain product or certain animal? And then how do you see it through as far as keeping the animal, you know, um, well, that's kind of a tricky question. I, I, Honestly, I, I mean, I would like to have this as a business, um, but I've never kind of really ran it with the business mind, um, and I'm not a great salesman. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm not the best person to ask about that. So I haven't really. Well, I, I, really I kind of see a what shit I like. About the money. I want to just get something <laughs> cool out of it. How do, you, how do yeah. you spend a lot of money? Uh, to get you something see, cool? 
Yeah. Um, well, you see what you like and, and then you kind of buy with it, buy it. And then, um, so with some of the morphs, I think, um, refining, refining looks, uh, gets thrown to the wayside. So you can still buy a morph and then refine that look. So one of the first morphs or maybe the first morph with uh, Amazon tree boas was, was the tiger, which is, it's got a, a lineal stripe down, you know, it's back and on the sides and it turns the pattern into a stripe instead of having the, the um, regular pattern. Um, and that's the dominant gene. Um, so if you buy one, and you pair it to an animal you can you can expect roughly um half the litter will be that will express that trait um but it's easy to produce that but then you can you can take things like stripe width you know or or stripe color and and or color of the you know the animal and, and work on that and refine it and and so i think that kind of gets lost with the morph you said well i have this morph i can I can, you know, make this morph. I don't need to work with it at all. Yeah, I think it's um, too easy to try to stack all the genes together. So whoever has the most genes in the animal wins. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's been there's been a little bit of that. Uh, I mean, there, we're getting to that point now with Amazons. Like, uh, there's been a tiger calico, and there should be some um, hypo tigers out there. Uh, <clears throat> It's just kind of discerning what's what. There's there's still a lot of uh, work to be done with the genes with Amazon tree boas, and it's in its infancy, and it's not so straightforward because how variable they are naturally to discern what is what. Yeah, so I guess my question was, how do the genes work? So it may be a dominant tiger, but will it still throw the garden coloration with the tiger or yeah, the red so and yellow coloration? Yeah, so depending with the parents, you can get any any variety of color with the tiger gene. So are you when you pick them first out of the clutch, do you know what is going to be the best looking animal per se? Um I've gotten a I've gotten a pretty good feel for it. Um and and some of these animals go through a crazy um ontogenic color change. Uh, which is which is a color change they go through as they mature into adulthood and and you can have uh, a yellow or tannish looking baby um develop into like a screaming flame orange animal um and so, and so a, a little bit of that depends on the line of the animal um if you know the parents went through that color process um or not and so if you get it from a reputable breeder um, who maybe documented the parentage or um, you've raised it from a neonate and you've seen it go, go through that color change, it gives you a better idea of what the offspring will do as, as they mature. So how do you choose your holdbacks and how long do you hold them back before you start selling your babies? Um, so it's good to get it's good to get um, the babies established before selling them. And, and, you know, it's pretty, pretty standard, like 10 meals or so without any problem um, before you want to sell the offspring. Uh, I, I choose my offspring by color. Um, red's a popular one um, because it, it's sort of, uh, I mean, it's very flashy, but 
It's also um, rarer to see from imports, which is which is what most of these animals were to start off with, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so that was sort of the desired people desire rare things, and and so red is really a, a sought after color. And I also like um, really clean clean animal. I like patternless animals. Um, so solid color yellows, no, you know, no black pattern or anything like that. Um, same with oranges and reds. Uh, and so that's kind of what I, I, um, selected from, you know, parents, maybe parents that were patternless, uh, would pick the nicest looking patternless baby, um, and, and hold it back and, and see where it went from there. So as far as morphs go, what do you currently keep in your collection? Uh, I have the tiger morph, um, leopard morph. I have, uh, Gulf coast reptile hypos. Um, and, and I have some red animals. I, I, I hesitate to call them calico, but they, they look very, uh, similar phenotypically to calicos, but they're unrelated to the calico lines that are out there. Um, and, and I, I don't think they're calico. So, um, so that's what I have. So do you think it will still be something inheritable, just a tweak on, you know, Calico? Well, all, everything is inheritable, really. Um, so it, I think it's, I, I don't think it's like a gene mutation. I think it's a color phase. And, and it's kind of a little tricky figuring out how that color phase works when the animals go through a color change into adulthood. Mm. So, so you have a baby born one color, which doesn't necessarily mean it's going to continue to be that color as a, as a, as an adult. Mm -hmm. So uh, a red baby might not necessarily be a red adult. Um, And what does that make it? Does that make it a red animal or, or does that make it whatever the finished color is? Right. So, So, I mean, you can even get something uh, yellow that may turn redder. Like, do they generally get darker with age, or is there any pattern? Um, the parentage has a very strong influence on that. So, it, if you want to weed out gardens out of your litters, take it. It only it, it'll only take a couple generations of breeding colored animals together, and you won't see any gardens in the litters anymore. Um, so if you have parents that go through extreme color changes, it's more likely that the offspring will as well. Really? Yeah. It seems so, like it's very close to a lot of the green tree lineage like yeah. type of things. Uh, green, yeah, green tree pythons are pretty complicated as far as adult coloration goes. Yes, they're just that next level because you only get yellow or red. <laughs> it seems, like but Amazons what's, can come out ten different colors. What's super cool about green tree pythons is the amount of years that people have been keeping track of the lineages. So you've got pedigrees with green tree pythons that are thirty years old, and you you know all the you know everything in that animal's genetic history back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Amazons aren't quite to that point, uh, but. I like to keep track of my my uh, pedigrees, and and uh, I think other people do as well. Well, I think an issue with green trees is that we've only been keeping them successfully for a short amount of time, or 
like the people who are successful don't even have that old of animals or you see people get out of it constantly, whether it's like the Nido virus and all that shit that's going on. But it seems like Amazons are a little bit hardier or much hardier rather than a green tree. Um, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty hardy. My opinion with green trees is they're pretty easy to keep. <laughs> um, breeding is a different matter with green tree pythons, but they were very easy to keep. Um, yeah, I, I kept it in my room, you know, no, no, ex, no external heat, uh, aside from my room heating. And, uh, you know, I never, I never missed them or anything like that. And, well, and, I, think, uh, I think the issue is keeping them too hot. Most people, but do you run an ambient temperature in your room? Yes. I run an ambient temperature in my room and I give supplemental heat to gravid females. So what are the temperatures like for both the regular animals in the collection and then gravid females? Um, so the, the regular temp probably fluctuates from 80 to 84, uh, daytime. And then I ha I have a nighttime drop year around that drops uh, low, low to mid seventies. And are you dropping those at night or do you keep it more constant? Yeah, I drop it at night. And then, um, because, um, because of where I live, I, I get a natural seasonal cycle too, where, um, in the summertime, my heat won't run at all, you know, for several months and it, it'll probably get higher than that. You know, it, it, my room can get into the nineties. Um, and, and where, uh, in, in the wintertime it's, it's probably much lower than that. And, and my heat's running a lot more. Okay. So you don't mind, um, you know, fluctuations in temperature. No, I don't. Um, so how do you think and, that, that helps you with, you know, the reproductive cycle? Uh, I guess people would call it, I, I think it's, it's sort of very similar to something, uh, Terry Phillip does or, or, uh, Bob Barker and they're coining it their method, um, where they, they say the animal's core temperature needs to be, you know, this certain temperature and, and that goes, um, for reptiles in general, for the most part, you know, um, I've always been so, uh, a little skeptical, but yeah, um, just to clarify the Terry Phillip method, which you're talking about is he thinks that every, every single snake can be kept at 80 degrees as long as their body temperature is 80 degrees. He no matter yeah. Ba ambient. Basically like that. Um, now that, that changes with gravid animals, gravid animals. I give, I give, I give my gravid females a basking spot of 90 degrees, uh, 24 hours a day. Um, and, and I do that with a thermostat and probe and, and, uh, I put the probe in at the, the perch site and, and set it to 90 and set it and forget it. Um, and I've had very good success doing that. And I've seen like, is it, I guess it would be called like incubation failures or something. You know, when the female's gravid and there's temperature swings mm -hmm. while she's gravid, you see all types of different, um, what would you call those birth defects and stuff like that. So, um, have you experienced something like that, and how do you keep away? From like that? Um, I've sort of settled into it. So, speaking of my method, and and you're saying you know it's skeptical or or whoever's method it is, whatever it's coined. Um, I wouldn't. It's something you kind of want to work into. So, 
what works for me might not work for you, depending on the area that you live in. Um, and it also isn't something you just want to go uh, cold turkey into and change your ways of doing things and go straight to, ah, you know what, I'm going to cut out the heat panels or heat tape or whatever you supplemental heat source and I'm going to heat my room. Um, you'll probably run into problems with the animals adjusting to that. And so I would say no matter what you do, give it like a serious go and let your animals adjust to it and, and then maintain that for, you know, a good period of time. I think one of my biggest mistakes is seeing something that I think was cool or, you know, more efficient or it'll be a lot better way to do things uh, or easier or whatever. And then making that change. So at this point in my, my reptile keeping career, I've pretty much tried to set these things up every way imaginable. Um, and that, that probably could have, you know, hindered the health of some of my animals or, or, you know, some of my breeding success in the past. So I guess, I mean, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing because I keep my animals ambient too. Not all of them, just, but a lot of not them. Not all of them, but the ones that I'm comfortable doing it with. So if someone wanted to um, bring their whole collection into <clears throat> ambient, what do you think would be reasonable step up in order to get those animals comfortable? Um, maybe maybe running running their temps the way you do it and then supplementing the heat with the, you know, like heating the room. Um, and then maybe, uh, taking them off the heat at nighttime, uh, and letting it just be, you know, room temperature and, and kind of slowly working it into that, uh, that way. Um, do it, do it over a period of time, sort of like you cycle your animals. Mm -hmm. That makes a and, lot of sense. And, um, I, you know, I don't keep colubrids or, or, uh, anything that needs a huge temperature, temperature cycle to reproduce, like. Uh, you know, diamond pythons or brettle pythons. Um, and so if you keep those species, this might not be the way to do it, or you might need a separate room for some of those animals that require uh, a more drastic swing to reproduce. Right. And what do you feel is your benefit from keeping ambient than keeping in a regular hotspot? Um, so, I mean, my electric bill is a bit more probably than normal. <laughs> Well, I, you know, that, that kind of depends because I'm, I'm sure and then an average person, because I'm sure your reptile keepers electric bill already is a, bit is more a than, lot. Higher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a constant. When we started living together and I started seeing how much it really affects it. We still go halves, though. Uh, yeah <laughs> it's still yeah it's and someone actually in the chat just said that they keep their whole house at 77 for their Jesus. for their calibre. They said their room they they've made their like sleep <laughs> their bedroom an ice box Listen, so they can I'm sleep. Warm -blooded, all right? Yeah, Get so they can here. sleep comfortable. But I mean, at least he's not that far. He's not making our whole house seventy seven. I can't I can't live. That's that. extreme. But I I've been there. Uh you know, the at the start of, you know, my reptile keeping, I, I I've always kept my ambient temperature and so I was living in a room in my parents' house um, in an 80-degree, you know, oh snake my room. God. <laughs> yeah, so I've been there and done that. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I have it separate from the rest of my house, though, now. 
Yeah, that's like, um, that's like the first big move <laughs> that happens, like when you become an adult and you get in yeah. the room. <laughs> yeah, I don't live in my snake room anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing yeah. feeling. Uh, I kind of lost place of where we were going. Uh, oh, trust me. Oh, that's, I, gonna, that's I, gonna happen ten going. more times before this is over. All right, <laughs> it's, it's probably our fault. So, yeah. So females. No, I think you're we should, changing subject. No, we should go more specifics on what he does for the females when they are gravid. Okay. The exact temperatures and the exact ways that you make sure that shit doesn't go wrong. Um. So. I, I don't know if it's been through trial and error, but uh, I sort of settled. Um, I kind of I kind of fiddled with it. You don't want your female to be constantly basking. Um, you know, that's a sign that it's not getting enough heat from its basking spot. Um, and you don't want it hiding the whole time. Um, so I kind of fiddled with my temperatures and have settled on 90 degrees. And, and I get about a 50-50 uh, basking uh, or hiding ratio. Um, and it, my window of birth is seriously between like five days, but it's between 125 and 130 days. And I, I can, you know, with 98% guarantee that, that that's when my babies will be born. Really? Is, uh, do you see differences in gestation to other people who are breeding Amazons? I'm, I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? Um, do you see differences as far as gestation time um, between other breeders? Um, but, so I, I guess the, uh, you know, the textbook answer for a gestation period would be between 120 and 140 days. Um, but you see, you know, 105 days and, and you see, you know, 165 days. Um my longest that I've experienced has been uh, 143 days, I think. And, you know, to, that was that was kind of an extreme. And, and that was with the 90 degrees basking temp, uh, you know, 24 hours a day with my female. Um, so I, I don't really know what happened there. Uh, I, I do think that um if if you have a less fertile litter what i've noticed is uh the female seems to drop earlier so you have a low number of living babies or or the female slugs out um i've had females slug out and it's been you know 85 days and, and they give me you know a, a litter of slugs and no living babies um but if the uh female is uh, incubating a larger uh, litter it it, it kind of goes on the uh the higher end of that range that's really just just my observation because it's not like if i was to have a normal snake that laid eggs it's not like they would lay slugs earlier mm -hmm, you know it's such mm -hmm. a different game when you're talking about live birth so it's like it's weird that they would like abort their own babies when they know it's not going to work out it seems and they're like, cut our losses. And <laughs> we need to start feeding again. And they're like, fuck these things. Well, they're, they're like, that is, they're, I think oh. that's kind of it. I, I, I think that's how they naturally respond to that. Like, this is a waste of energy biologically. I, you know, I need to expel this and, and move on. You think that that is you not giving the conditions? Or is it them not, like, going through the cycle for whatever reason? Uh. So my opinion or, you know, my experiences, 
it seems to be the issue seems to be when uh, like the courting and and, uh, copulations happen between male and female. So if you have a male that's not as aggressive and doesn't breed the female frequently, or maybe breeds her one or two times. um, And there's a, there's a long period in between the breedings and her ovulation. um, That's when I seem to see lower fertility in, uh, in my litters. And I'm, you know, there's things you can do to stimulate uh, males into breeding. We can talk about that later if you'd like. Um, but there's only so much you can do there. You know, you can't make the male breed the female. I wish. So I guess <laughs> since, since you already brought it up, <laughs> since you already brought it up, how do you make male what? females? Don't you wish you could make them do it? Yeah, I don't know. we had this conversation earlier. No, yeah, yeah. Everybody- I don't. Thought you were asking it's kind of yourself. interesting. What? <laughs> Is that a little jab at you there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get on that. Okay. Not where I was going at all. I'm. I'm. I was talking about snakes. Oh. Okay. <laughs> As you dri- dribble beer out of your mouth, almost. <laughs> what? I mean, I've kind of thought about that. You know, we're like, uh, you know, big time dog breeders and horse breeders, artificial insemination. Uh, you know, why wouldn't that be possible with snakes? Uh, I don't know what kind of process would need to you, know, you need to go through that or, or how that would uh, real weird. <laughs> your end. I think Dave yeah. Polish would Pretty... do it. <laughs> That's a random person to say because <laughs> we talked Poor about Dave. sperm with him a lot related to snakes, and I feel like he would be interested. Hey man, some snakes, if they would make it happen, if I had a Bolin's python and the only way to do it was to artificially inseminate it with an eyedropper or something, I'd do it. Yeah, you it, it might be you know, something interesting with some of those more difficult species, but also there, you know, what conditions does does the male need to go through certain, you know, temperature cycles or, or you know, whatever, weather conditions before he produces, you know, fertile sperm or, you know, uh, something like that so that that might be out of our control anyway is there any environmental factors as far as maybe two males or something like that get together in combat is there anything like that in amazon yes two two males um are very aggressive towards each other um and not to the point i've never seen two males bite each other um you know in some species you see males kill each other um i've never had another male um attack the other one uh they do wrestle though um and they do chase each other around the cage and uh you know i've had it where i introduce a male to a female and the female's not very receptive to the male and i i sort of worry you know oh shit do i got two males in there um but yeah if you if you introduce two males um you'll you'll see a lot of movement um, you know, one won't be just chilling on the perch and the other one, you know, touching it. You'll see a lot of movement. Um, they'll be, I've had them, you know, flick their perches off the, off the holders and, and you'll see something that looks like a lockup, uh, where they, they, they wrap the other male up. Um, but it, it's very, it's a lot more of an aggressive than, than you would see a male locking up a female. And do you, do you think that that stimulates them maybe to go after a female? Yes, it, it does. Um, and even uh, even putting a fresh shed of a male in the cage with another male will um, either cause him to be agitated 
or if, if you add that into, you know, a male and female pair, uh, the male will more aggressively pursue the female. Mm-hmm. Usually, usually. Mm-hmm. I've actually just had that a few days ago where I, I took a fresh shed from a male um, and, and I threw it in the, in the cage with a pair and, and the male was completely locked up with the female in the morning. That's awesome. So, yeah, that, that's that's a big that's a big stimulant. Are you um, also someone who believes in the like high and low pressure systems, thunderstorms, all that stuff? <laughs> Absolutely. No with way. Cor- <laughs> yes, with with Corallus, it 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 seems to be a huge um, a huge stimulant, and and even even with my animals that aren't breeding, um, when we have rainstorms or or you know. Uh, thunderstorms my animals will be out cruising their cages i mean yeah i mean do you think you have an advantage a because you get you get a decent temperature range throughout the year and b it's raining all the time up there do you think you have an advantage <laughs> in oregon than other places um well uh you know one of the one of the most successful um amazon tree bow breeders is in the world lives in California. Um, and you know, I, I know they experience, uh, you know, droughts all the time. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I think it helps me. I pretty much have year around breeding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have breeding seasons per se. Uh, I, I have a very aggressive like breeding period sort of in the uh, fall winter time. Um, and then, and then again in the springtime. So that, that, there's a couple month windows in between there where, um, you know, if, if I'm not having a pair that's, uh, if I, if I had a pair that was less active, you know, may, let's say during the winter, um, I'll give them a few months off or I'll give that animal a few months off, um, and just chill, uh, and then, you know, reintroduce in the spring, you know, late spring, early summer. So see what are the signs that you use to see that a female is receptive or ready to go or cycling? Uh, to be honest, uh, I, I sort of kind of try it out a little bit, you know, uh, you throw a male in there for a night and see what happens. Um, occasionally you do see a female where you're like, you know, that's not a food bulge. I, I can kind of see you developing follicles a little bit. And, and so to back off that a little bit, that kind of, um, goes back to, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I go by the feel, um, and I'm, 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 I feel like I'm very in touch with my room and, and my animals. Um, and you know, I come in here multiple times a day, you know, my rooms at my house. Um, I come in here to, you know, look at some pretty animals every once in a while and, and chill out. And, and if you, you know, you see a female that, uh, is kind of swollen up and, and it's not a food bulge, you know, that might be a time to throw a male in there and, uh, see, see what it goes. Mm-hmm. So you can see, see if he are males, uh, typical males, they're always ready to go. No, uh, not always. Um, I, I seem to think that, uh, older males make better breeders and, um, it, it, it seems to take a little while for my males to mature. You know, I don't have any, I don't have any 18 month old, uh, Amazon tree bows that are breeding. Um, and, and it's usually, you know, three or four year old males that are breeding. 
I think I think we're getting too deep before I should probably ask you what the breeding age is for males and for females. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, so uh, what were we, ta- we were talking about? Uh, stimulus or, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. How to get males to breed, but I need to know how old males <laughs> need to be to breed as well as females typically. Okay. Um, well, you know, uh, I've heard males as young as 18 months breeding. Um I don't know about the success of the litters because those aren't my males. Um, and if you have an 18 month old male, uh, you know, that shows interest in females and, and breeds, uh, I don't see a problem with that. Like it's not going to cause any problems to his health. Um, if you know, cause obviously if he's breeding the female, he's not super stressed out about it. Um, he's not freaking out about it. He's, you know, doing what he's supposed to do. Um, and so I don't see any negative health effects to that, um, for the males anyway. And so I've heard of that. Um, but you know, anywhere on up from there when the male's ready, uh, that would be acceptable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, my question would be the fertility of the litter being that young. Is he, is he producing, you know, sperm? Uh, is he producing enough sperm to, to get a, a fully healthy litter or are you going to get a lot of slugs? I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess, I guess um, the most important question is when is the when is the female ready? Females, okay. Um, so that range I've heard, uh, you know, from two years to more what I experience uh, four four or five year range. Um, that you wouldn't want to breed a, a a young small female, in my opinion. But if you if you have a, a female that's young and, and has some good weight, um, it's been done. I've done it. Um, you know, uh, another guy you might not know of, uh, he, he no longer keeps Amazon Tribos, but Matt Lear, he was, you know, like at the forefront of, you know, Amazon Tribos for a while. Uh, that's GHI reptiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, he bred some younger females at, at two years old. And I think my first pairing when I got started was a female that was two years old. Um, and I, I had a successful litter doing that. She, she was a big female. Um, and that, that sort of goes on how, how often you feed and, and what, you know, prey items you feed your animals. Uh, but typically I, it takes me about four years to get a female, four or five years to get a female up to a size that I'm comfortable with. Um, that's not, not obese, has good mus- musculature. Yeah. I mean, um, that's- and the, that's a good question as far as because most of the arboreal guys really tend to go leaner on the feeding. So I wonder what are your feeding cycles and does it differ from male to female? <laughs> uh, yeah, it absolutely differs male to, male to female. Um, my my males, I, I sort of get up to a, uh, a small female size and, and then, you know, they don't get fed very often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they they get a they get fed often enough to uh you know maintain healthy muscles um but i do i do not have a set schedule um or you know i'll see an active animal or something like that you know uh, maybe looking for some food and and uh i'll go in there and count the animals that i think i need to feed for the night and you know thaw out that many mice or rats or and, and then do that um as far as the females, again, I don't have a set schedule. Um, I do kind of uh, food cycle a little bit. 
Um, and I kind of did that intentional, unintentionally. Um, and so, you know, in the breeding times, I feed less because the pairs are together, uh, which, you know, is kind of what people do when they food cycle. And, and then when you're, you know, preparing to introduce or you're planning your, you know, your pairings or whatever and say, ah, you know, maybe in a month or so I'll give this animal, I'll throw a male in with her and see what happens. Um, then I, I start feeding, you know, maybe I'll feed her a couple times in a week or I'll feed her, uh, you know, two mice in a, in a sitting, um, and, and really try to pack on the extra calories. Well, really like a selfish question is I'm really trying to get, cause this thing, I have an Amazon tree boa. It's so fucking skinny. I don't know if it's normal or not. And I feed like every one and a half to two weeks, which is like, you know, I just treating it kind of like a, like I would a green tree or something like that. I'm like, I don't know, I'm starving it, killing it, but it's just skinny as fuck always. So, okay. So you probably don't have a problem there. They're, they're a skinnier snake and you don't want to see a fat Amazon tree bow with a little head. <laughs> And it looks weird, but you'll, you'll see it when I'm talking about it. When I like, so not only do I kind of keep track of the age of my females before, you know, pairing up, but my biggest like determining factor is the way the head looks on a female. And it, it's kind of hard to explain. Um, there's something about the head of a mature female Amazon tree boa that you just say that's a mature a- Amazon tree boa like i i know that that female is ready to have a litter of babies mm-hmm. um and even if it's a little questionable at first after giving that first litter that it's so distinct the head size to body ratio i i don't know what it is i'm sorry yeah. people in the chat are taking this to such a dirty level right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> The fat body and the little head, and it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just well, I mean, but I know exactly what you're talking about uh-huh. because <laughs> because uh, like jungle carpets, or I believe most Morelia, but what I see in jungle carpets is you can kind of tell a carpet its age by its head, it just has this mm-hmm. weird chunky head, and then you could see an old male, and you'd be like, I could tell that's an old man. Uh, there's something about the head. I don't. Yeah, I don't as they age too. Either. As they age, you can tell an old animal by its head as well, where it'll have this huge head compared to its body size. Um, and, and even sometimes when, they, when they're really old, uh, you, the jaw muscles will be um, less defined. And, and that, that um, what I've noticed, um, has been a sign of decline in health, uh, where that animal's not as healthy. Um, but since we're talking about, uh, you know, feeding and food size and everything like that. And, and you're wondering about, you know, the health of your tree boa and and compared to green tree pythons and emerald tree boas, Amazon tree boas, uh, can take huge prey, uh, just huge prey sizes. Like, um, you know, I don't try to do it all the time, but, uh, I'm not super worried about the size of the prey that I throw in with my animals. And, and sometimes, it makes me a little nervous when I see him eating it. Like, oh shit, maybe, <laughs> maybe I fucked up there. Maybe I shouldn't have thrown that size of an, an you know animal to that. And it comes through fine. You know, I I don't get regurges, um, no problem. Mm-hmm. They they seem to have a lot faster metabolism than uh, chondros and, and emerald tree Dude, it shits like the next day. And I'm using my. Right? will take like two weeks to take a shit. <laughs> 
This is yeah. shit the next day. I'm like, what is going on? Does it need to eat every day? What the fuck? Yes. They, you know, I, I don't keep colubrids, but I would, I would say they are the colubrids of the tree, but you know, like they, they um, defecate a lot more than my animal tree bows and a lot more than my chondros did when I had them. Which is weird because usually I would take that as a sign as feed me more, but then again, like probably shouldn't feed them more. Um, well, that's that's again, they're they're a lot more lenient than than uh, emerald tree boas and uh, green tree pythons with the feeding schedule. Uh, um, it's it's harder to get uh, uh, an obese Amazon tree boa, but uh, I, I feed a mix of of rats and, and mice. Um, for a while there, when I had green tree pythons, uh, you know, the thing to do with your green tree pythons. No rats. To, exactly, no rats. And, and so, um, you know, I, I didn't do any rats with my Amazon tree boas and everything like that. Uh, I, I do mix it in now. Um, I, I don't have a problem with it. I, I haven't had any issues. Um, but, yeah. So, my, my adult females... Um, you know, a, a jumbo mouse won't put a, a bulge in them, mm. um, but you know, a small rat is is about as big as I go with my my adult females. I mean, it's hard for me to judge because you don't realize that they get pretty pretty large as far as you know, six to seven feet. But then again, are really really skinny, and I mean, you don't really need to go anything above a rat. Uh, yeah, no, not not in my opinion. Um, uh, I, I do know that um, some people keep keep their tree bows bigger than mine. Mm. Um, I, I don't I don't have a reason why. Um, I mean, you know, you could get them up to medium rats, I guess, if you wanted to. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I just don't. I I stop. Um, I get you know healthy uh, eight to twelve baby litters with my females, um, and and they're you know I haven't I haven't uh, measured one on a scale in a very long time, but they're probably, you know, six, 600 grams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even begin to figure out how to put a adult female Amazon tree bow on a scale. <laughs> yeah. You, 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 uh, I found a pretty good, you know, a pillowcase or some kind of bag. Uh, just put it, put your hook through it, uh, hook, hook the snake onto the hook and then just pull the bag over the top and, and uh, that seems to work pretty well. There you go. Do you find a difference in attitude between, you know, some of your imports and some of your captive-born and bred animals? Uh, yeah. Uh, my my, I I've got I've had a few imports over the years, and um, they're they're sort of none of them have been mellow. Um while I do have some captive born and bred animals that are sort of mellow as far as three bows go, they're not super trustworthy. Um, but I can take them out and free handle them and, and not give it all the time. Um, whereas the, um, wild caught animals are not that way. I, I haven't had a lot of wild caught animals, so I don't have a large sample size to go on off that. Uh, yeah. Uh, they're not, they're not super bad, especially if you have, you have a smaller collection and it does seem, um, if that's something you do, you take them out and handle them a lot. It does seem to mellow them out a little bit or adjust them to, to handling. But I, I've got about a, a hundred snakes. So I, I, that's not something I do. 
That is a good question of how many snakes you work with. Are those all Amazon tree boas? Uh, mostly, yes. So do you keep any other Corrales? Yes, I have a pair of Amazon or emerald tree boas, sorry, uh, n- northern emerald tree boas. And I have a pair of Corrales Russian Burgeri, which is the blacktail tree boa or Central American tree boa. So I don't know anything about Russian Burgeri, but um, what is the difference between, because honestly, dude, <clears throat> the Corrales other than emeralds, I have trouble finding many differences in them. Yeah. Uh, so most of the Russian Burgeri you would see in the States um they're a costa rican locale um and they're very very similar in appearance uh, appearance they kind of start out as like a brown neonate with some pattern um but they develop into a very um golden colored animal with a, a jet black tail and i i don't know they're very cool i i, I thought i i kind of hesitated on getting them for a little while because uh, part of the reason I'm so into Amazon tree bows is their uh, variety of colors and everything like that that they come in. So you don't find Russian burger eye to have the same. Uh, they don't. They're, they're, they're almost clones of each other, but they all come from the same place for the most part, uh, which I think is Ketzel Dwyer who runs uh shit. I can't think of it. He, he's got a breeding facility in Costa Rica and, and he imports stuff to the States. Mm-hmm. Um, or export stuff to the states, uh, and so that's where the majority of uh, the Russian burger eye in in the United States come from, um, and that's what I, I have a pair of uh, Costa Rican locale, and, and they're all golden black tails. It, they do have larger scalation than Hortolanus or uh, Caninus. Mm-hmm. Now is our basins is that the um pinnacle for you as well as is that all corrales keepers um i personally like northerns more than i like basins um i used to have a i had a lone male basin um and I, I had him for several years, and I came to the conclusion that I'm never going to spend the amount of money that I need to to buy a female basin. <laughs> um, and so I just I just didn't do it, and I sold my mail. Um, they are, for the most part, they seem to be pretty uh, a lot more mellow um, than the northerns, and they they get they typically get bigger, um, but. It's it's a really cool snake to be able to hold a uh, hold that size of a uh, you know Corallus. Um, it's a cool experience. Uh, no. So I mean, if go ahead, go ahead. Um, if you have you kept um, or which of the Northerns do you keep? Do you keep just the regular diamond or the anaconda anaconda phase, and have you bred emeralds? <clears throat> I have not bred emeralds. Um, this is sort of my first real go this year. Um, and I keep, I keep the Northerns that, that have the regular, uh, lightning bolts. I don't have any of the Anaconda phase or patternless phase, um, Northerns. Um, I, I have a couple animals that are pedigreed that come from Rico Walder. Um, and, uh, I've got a pair that I've been pairing up this year and I've had quite a lot of breeding success. The female's swelling up right now. Uh, I'm hoping for an ovulation here. It's possible that I've I got an ovulation, 
Um, but I, I was giving, I tried to give her a, a nice good sized meal, um, after all the breeding and I noticed her swelling up a little bit. I, I sort of, uh, tried to give her a meal in between breedings and, and to see if that might stimulate ovulation. Um, and it's possible that it could have. Um, so we'll see if she goes into a shed cycle here. Um, she still looks a bit swollen, so it's possible that, uh, she's still developing follicles, um, and could ovulate. Do you find, um, similar, similar, uh, similarities between how you keep Amazons and how you keep, uh, your emeralds? Uh, yes, very similar. Um, my emeralds are in the same room. Um, they, they don't get any external heat. I would be supplying extra heat to the female. Um, if I, if I think she's gravid, uh, my only question would be if I give her the 90 degree basking spot or not, because I, I do hear that they like it cooler than normal. Um, and so I, I might maybe play it on the safer side and, and look for a longer gestation, um, and, and do it a, a bit cooler than that, maybe 86 degrees or something like that. Do you find that all Corallus breeders keep slightly warmer when females are gravid? Uh, yeah, I, I haven't heard of, um, I haven't heard of anyone, uh, not, not providing a uh, basking spot, especially for live bearing animals, because it, it's very important that they hit the certain temperature that they need to when they're, you know, incubating the, the litter inside them. For sure. I mean, for me, honestly, it scares me more to have a female with eggs inside of her that I can't control the whole time rather than just having eggs that I can put in a little a thing separate thing. Yeah. I don't know. It is a little nerve wracking and it's a longer wait time. And because you don't have eggs halfway through it, uh, you don't know the fertility of the litter. Right. So um, there's some things you can kind of key into, uh, especially as you get like an eye for it. Uh, you know, a female gestating a, a, health, a healthy litter of Amazons does seem to, you know, grow a bit as it progresses. Like you will notice an increase in the swelling. Um, whereas uh, less fertile litters, not so much. Or, or you'll see an odd ovulation. Either the ovulation's over a small area um, or, or it's for a longer period of time than it should be. Um, and, and those are the litters that I notice that, that tend to be less fertile. Now, I've seen, as far as greenches, I've seen females tail hang and stuff like that. And do gravid females tend to stay grounded more often or perch up on the hot spot? What's the difference between a gravid female maybe and a regular female? Um, I would say you will, you won't see too much in the like intermediate areas of the cage. They'll either be basking or, or they'll be completely away from the basking spot. But it is about 50% of the time with my basking females that they are, um, you know, spending in the hot spot or, uh, or, or out of the hot spot. Oh shit. Joe had to pee and I don't have another question. Well, that's fine. <laughs> um, the difference, uh, so even so, what do you I can't hear. Oh, he's, 
he he tries to talk while he's peeing, but he says to ask you about the clutch you just had and how you started your babies. Um, okay, so uh, I had a nice clutch of, um, you know, red animals. There were some garden animals in there. Um, 12, 12 live babies, one slug. Uh, I get them set up in uh, little shoebox tubs with a piece of plastic garden mesh and and uh, disposable you know, plastic water, water cups. And that's about it. And when do you feed your first meal? Um, depending on how active the animals are, it will be, I usually try to do a couple days before, um, sorry, a couple days after they are born. Um, and a lot of times I can get a meal in about half the litter before they go through their first shed. That's crazy. Soon that's like the I opposite of what we do. What everyone else does. Right? Yeah, we're or like, let's we wait do. for that first one yeah. before we really. So, do you find a lot of them take pretty early? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's again, probably about half of them or so um, will show some interest in feeding, um, and uh, you know, you sort of kind of do that by you know thawing out some mice and and seeing if you can get one to sort of strike and wrap it a little bit. Um, and maybe you'll see, maybe you'll see a few that'll strike it and wrap it and drop it a few times. And that to me tells me that that animal might give it a, might give it a go. And, and I kind of, then maybe I'll try a day later or so. And usually, um, if they, if they, you know, strike it and drop it a few times the next day, they'll take it. What do you do for say someone who holds out for longer than that? I'm sure you have a lot of stubborn. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, um, <laughs> so I've had a harder time. Uh, I'm very specialized with, uh, tree boas and I've been keeping them for, uh, you know, a decade now. Uh, and that's pretty much exclusively. And, and so I, I've been kind of branching out and keeping some other species. And I had a litter of sand boas, uh, you know, last year and I had a fucking hell of a time getting sand boas to eat. Um, but Typically, my tree boas are pretty easy to get started because of how aggressive they are. So if you can get them to strike at a meal, usually you can get them to take it, depending on, you know, you, the release. you got to be real quick on the release, and, and you see a lot of that with green tree python keepers, you know. Mm -hmm. If they strike it, you know, you got to be quick on the release and do it with tweezers, not forceps because they lock and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so with the aggressive Amazon tree boas, it's pretty easy to get them going. When I have trouble, it's with the animals that are sort of scared of my advancing. They'll run away from what I'm doing or if I sort of antagonize them a little bit by, you know, rubbing the mouse on them or moving the mouse around them or even sort of uh, hitting them with the mouse a little bit and they run. That's typically the those are the, those are typically the animals I have trouble with. Yeah, I've heard the same um, exact thing for green trees. Are are there specialized spots, whether it's the head or the tail, that you want to hit the pinky on? Um, so, so it, it kind of depends on the animal. Um, what's kind of been a cool little trick is is uh, one of my experienced buddies. Uh, he he breeds uh, green tree pythons, and he kind of showed me this. Um, they seem to be sort of like right or left sided. <laughs> not not. <laughs> And I, I don't mean it like right or left-handed, but like with certain animals, they respond really well to a certain side and you can just rub the animal on like, say the left side of their head and that'll trigger a bite response. But if you do it on the opposite side, they won't. 
Um, and so, um, you know, rubbing an animal a little bit on the, on the side of them seems to work pretty well. I do try to do that on the side of the face, um, or, or on the tail region. That makes sense. Now, do you ever have to get to the point where you have to scent it maybe with something else or do they always take rodents? Um, yeah, I've done some scenting, um, with mixed results more so with my, I mean, more, the results were more, uh, prominent with my, uh, green tree pythons when I kept them. Uh, but I, I do scent with, um, I have quail down egg yolk. Um, and that, that helps because you can get the egg yolk sort of warm and it it gets stuck to the animal and, and, so it doesn't cool down as quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the heat signature is um, sort of more important, in my opinion, with Amazon tree bows. Uh, super heating, you know, the paint, you don't want to, I don't know if a snake can burn its mouth or burn its tongue or not. I'm assuming it probably, it might be. Yeah. Um, so you don't want to get it too hot, but uh, way, way hotter than body temperature, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that seems to work pretty well. But for the most part, my main uh, scenting, I guess you would call it braining, um, which most people, I guess, braining, they kind of cut the top of the head off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just sort of peel the skin back with the forceps. Um, and that's about it. So I don't necessarily brain it. Like there's no brain juice on my animals or anything like that, but, uh, I just pull the skin back and that, that seems to work pretty well. So is the thought process that these animals are starting off on fowl or birds out there? Oh, that's my question. Oh. <clears throat> no, not really. Um, I I've got the uh, what neotropical tree bows by uh, Henderson, and, and it's 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 pretty uh, you know it's some dense reading. It's very scientific, um, and and I think you would probably have more success with uh, you know like uh, lizard scent or something like that because some of some of the younger ones eat lizards, um, but as adults they are almost exclusively uh, mammalian feeders they 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 come down and eat mammals um and so it's not a hard jump to get the neonates to sort of get that feel and you know for that to snap in their head and say oh you know i'm supposed to eat this this is a mammal um and and so that that it doesn't seem to be a huge switch whereas you have an animal as an adult that eats something different than rodents um, it's very difficult to get them to switch over. So we talked about that class that you just hashed, right? Right. Yeah. Slightly, yes. <laughs> and <laughs> so, what were the what was the pairing there, and what did you end up getting, and how many clutches do you usually get a year? Uh, okay. Uh, so I guess my average um, litter, I, I probably get about three litters a year. I'm trying to bump that up a little bit. Um, Last year, I had um, four or five, um, and this is my first one of the year, and I'll probably shoot again for, uh, you know, about five. Um, I don't want to overproduce, you know, more a whole lot more animals than I can sell. I, I don't mind keeping, you know, a lot of animals, um, but now as as, as I'm raising up a lot of, I've kept a lot of holdbacks in the past years. And so, um, I've got a lot of animals that I'm, I'm needing adult cages for and stuff like that. And so I've done a lot of, uh, messing around with cages and, and making my room more efficient size wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I don't want to produce a, 
I don't, I don't want to mass produce him, you know? Um, but yeah, uh, uh, about the litter, uh, it was, uh, it was one of my red line animals paired to, you know, it gets to, it's a very complicated thing <laughs> talking about the color of these. So I'm kind of have to go into like a, a bit of a backstory, I guess. Go for it. Um, it's an, un, it's an unrelated animal. Some might call it red. I'm very particular what I call red. And, well, and so I wouldn't it look like Wait, it look it, red? it's red or is it not red? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> to me, it's to a, a prime person. <laughs> it's a primarily red animal, but it's got some <laughs> orange pattern red. on it. Primarily red. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't usually. You're not. I mean, even when you have a solid colored Amazon Tribo, it's not one color. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, if it's a solid red animal, which is almost non-existent, by the way, um, it might have a few scales on it that are white. Um, or if it's a if it's a solid yellow animal, I can almost guarantee that even a patternless yellow animal has the faint remnants of orange pattern down towards the tail um and so it's not black and white um, when it comes to color but anyways it's a it's a red animal um and it's it's got some orange pattern so it's not as red as an animal i would typically call red like if i if i had enough no idea of the lineage of the animal um and i and i saw it i had no idea um you know what it looked like as a neonate it's not an animal that I would say is red, red, you know, like <clears throat> it's not solid red, but that being said, it seems to be compatible with red animals. So I've paired, um, several unrelated red animals to, um, several unrelated females that are not red and produced zero red animals. However, when paired to this animal, the red males produce a litter that is almost, well, so I, I had 12 babies. Um, four of them are gardens and seven of them are reds. And so it's at least compatible with red color. Um, so when talking about red color, it seems to be inherited somewhat recessively, mm-hmm. which would make sense as why it's one of the more rare colors, aside from the fact that it's been selectively bred for in captivity because it's the most desired. Right. Um, you, you seldom see you know, red imports. However, you do see them. So it is in the um, you know, wild population. It's not, uh, but it's just less frequent. So it, it, sort of, it sort of lines up that way with a recessive trait um but as red animals um develop into maturity you can see them go sort of the orange route you can have a baby that looks you know bright fire bright fire engine red as a baby and then as an adult it's sort of a brick orange or or something like that so the question becomes is that animal a red animal or is it an orange animal um so far from my breeding trials, it seems to be a red animal. Um, you also have the other, the other way where um, you have a yellow animal that, uh, that is born yellow and, and it um, you know, goes through its ontogenic color process or change and 
it, it's almost completely red as an adult. You would never guess that it was a yellow animal. That animal is not compa- compatible with a red animal, and you will not produce red offspring. So then I feel like you <laughs> should judge it by the babies then. Yeah, that's what that's what it kind of seems to be. Um, so far, from my experience, the red the babies that start out as red will produce red offspring when paired to the correct um, animal. It seems like as long as you cover your bases as far as you're going to get poshets and then you breed to another red, you have much less of an opportunity to get het for garden or whatever that is. So the more red you breed to red, the more concentrated it gets, the more chance you get for it not to be het for garden. Does that make sense, Mike? Absolutely, but that that would go with yellows as well. So So if you want a pair of yellows that doesn't produce any gardens, you would want it as many generations removed from garden animals as possible. Right. Damn. So I'm still... Different, a lot of different forms. Yeah. Yeah, and so since we're on this, um, you know, if it was a recessive gene, um, just straightforward, red to red, you would have all reds. Um, So one of the interesting things that I've been getting in my red line pairings are, um, for lack of a better word, funky gardens. Um, They sort of look like red garden animals, and I've kind of taken to calling them red gardens. Um, This is something you see with calico line animals as well. They produce um, gardens that have this distinct, you know, reddish coloration or, or, or whatever you want to call it. They're very distinct. Um, and they put, pop up in these um, genetic calico litters uh, where you know that it's a, it's a mutation, it's a, it's a dominant gene. Um, and these animals pop up. And to say, take, take it a step further, uh, they're actually a garden calico. Um, they go on and produce, you know, red calicos and other gardens that look like this, you know, the parent animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've been they've been dubbed, you know, a garden calico. Um, one of the interesting things with calico is aside from that uh, garden anomaly, you only get red calicos. So regardless of what some people are going to say, I haven't seen anything to con- convince me that. Uh, an animal from one of these calico lines is not red. It, it might be um, it might be pink with a whitewash. It might have yellow on it, you know, black, whatever. But I would call the base color of the animal red. And so there's some kind of link between the calico gene and the red color. There's also some kind of link between the red color and these garden animals. And so I'm kind of, you know, I, um, I'm good buddies with, uh, he's sort of a local guy. Um, and he's bought in some tree boas from me and we've done some, uh, uh, breeding projects together. Uh, Nick Mutton. Um, I fucking knew it, man. They <laughs> can't go an episode with that man. You're the, Nick sec- Mutton, the huh? second person who's been like, oh yeah. And we, my buddy, we talk, like, we talk mostly Nick carpet pythons. So it's like, it's always <laughs> Nick Mutton, but yeah. He happens to be kind of local to me and, and, and I meet him, I met him at shows and now, so, uh, when he vends shows, you know, he comes and stays the night at my place and, you know, we vend the show together and, um, I don't think people know how he has a hell of a Corrales collection as well. So yeah, he's got a hell of a Corrales collection. Um, but he's also, 
very he's he's a very smart person um and very knowledgeable and so i sort of uh you know i'm not a geneticist or anything but i kind of bounce my ideas off of him and and we kind of talk you know chit chat back and forth and and you know see where it goes so i kind of i kind of bring um you know uh i don't know i kind of take his word on some of this stuff you know what's possible genetically or you know what could be going on here because it's it's not you know it's not simple uh what is it mendelian genetics you know like a plus b equals c or you know um there's a lot of things involved here and so it's it's good to have him to sort of bounce these ideas off but the link with the uh you know the garden and the red thing because i'm having it in my red litters that are unrelated to calico litters um it it sort of seems to be an overlap of the two where you have this this animal genetically is a red animal but because but it's it's being covered up by the, the garden gene and so you have a red garden um that carries the gene to produce red animals mm-hmm. like a red animal does but with the garden gene being more prevalent it's essentially a garden it's kind of complicated and i'm raising up some animals to do further breeding trials with now do you Um, see litters that cover the spectrum or do you typically see gardens with reds and yellows not with gardens and reds i don't think i've had a litter with um yellows and reds that i have not had a litter with yellows and reds i've paired um, you know, my proven red male to, uh, you know, he's produced red offspring, uh, multiple times and I've paired him to a unrelated yellow female, uh, and produced zero reds. I produced all bicolored animals that were, um, you know, yellow with orange patterning. Yeah. <laughs> it's complicated, but there's so much work to be done. I mean, it's, it's exciting if you, if you're into this kind of thing. It's yeah. not very easy, and when you kind of think you have it dialed in a little bit, you're going to get something that pops up, and you're like, fuck, that doesn't make sense. What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, it seems to be that way with a, a few different animals, and it's hard to distill like what's really going on because, A, there's not enough people breeding them. B, there's not enough people with animals old enough or enough time in the fucking day for everyone to figure out. It's not like ball pythons where we have mm. normals and normal and a pastel to pastel. It's just so clouded up as far as that goes. It takes more people to learn so, that stuff. Yeah, and, and, it, and it takes you know time to raise up the, the offspring that you know what they've looked like as babies um, to what they produce as, as adults. Um, but I will say one of the other genes um, with amazon tree boas does seem to be linked to color which kind of coincides with the calico animals you know being linked to their red color um the leopard gene um is linked to garden animals there there are no colored leopards i have produced a leopard from het animals though which was under some debate Uh, i would like to repeat my success though Mm -hmm. uh, before you know i make any decisions because it, it was a small litter um but neither animal was very clearly uh, a visual leopard. And what do you mean? How small was that litter? Is that just a couple animals? Two animals, yes. Oh, damn. So yep. 
do you think that maybe there's something in those genetics that make the visuals not thrive? Or do you think, because you know, there's obviously lethal genes out there and stuff, do you think maybe they don't thrive because the genes don't coincide with each other? Um, no, I, I think... I think that would be a reason why you would um, you wouldn't see it expressed. So again, I, I do think the you know the leopard gene is linked with garden. Um, so you know you're not going to produce a yellow leopard, um, and uh, so that kind of um, I lost my train of thought again. <laughs> uh, that has it. Um, as far as the fertility of that litter goes. Uh, I, I'm thinking it was the female. She was an older female. Um, and she sort of never bounced back from that litter and she, she actually passed away. So that's kind of what I, I uh, attribute that to. Oh, that's but so you... the two, go ahead. The two animals that I, I produced one, uh, it, it was a GCR hypo Amazon paired to an unrelated, uh, you know, multicolored uh, female that I picked up at a show I have no idea what the lineage was, um, you know, years and years beforehand. Um, I paired them up and I produced one hypo and, and one leopard. I do know some link between the um, leopard and hypo genes because the originator of the hypo um, gene, Gulf Coast Reptiles, um, works with both genes um, and they have produced both genes in the same litter. So it's quite possible that my um, hypo male is het for the leopard gene. So you believe that random animal that you picked up at a show was actually captive bred and could hold both those genes? Um, it's possible, which is why I would have liked to repeat the pairing. Mm. I'm also trying to prove out um, my hypo male is being het leopard by pairing him to a visual leopard. Um, so that, that would give me a better indication. I, I think the odds would be astronomical that the female was het leopard. Um, there is another explanation, which I talked actually did a show on Nick's show about, um, where essentially um, whatever parent is um, carrying the leopard gene, it, it's a recessive gene, and, and it passes on the offspring by um, there is no other gene present at that gene location, and so the recessive gene is actually expressed. It's way above my head. <laughs> Wait. It's way above my head, but yeah. So if, if there, it's called a null allele. Mm -hmm. And um, so you have multiple alleles at that location. Um, if one of them is completely absent, you have an allele for that recessive gene in that area. It is forced to be expressed because there is no other allele. to go with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it is a possible that the leopard that I produce is a null allele leopard. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> I like it's very complicated, which is why I want to keeping, text, um, keeping records from breeding these animals is very important. Yeah. Travis will be pissed if I don't text him. We have yeah. our, I don't even know if we can call him our friend. He's not our friend, but he's our pocket geneticist basically. And anytime we get into a conversation about stuff like this, we text them. I think recently we had a green tree guy on and we we're talking kind of the same line of like someone said, what, if the grandparents are both red, 
then the offspring will be red. Is that what someone was saying? And yeah, we- because it seems like green trees, like you were saying, kind of like how it's passed between Amazons, are technically recessive reds and yellows. So you breed more yes. reds together, and you accidentally end up with more reds just because you're breeding for red, breeding for red, breeding for red, breeding for red. You eventually breed out the yellow. So that was our thought, and then green tree guys disagree with that, so we try to keep... I think... I think it's pretty close to that. Um, aside from, you know, again, I've been out of green trees for a while. Um, but, you know, some buddies of mine, uh, they're, they're smart people and they're very experienced keeping reptiles. They keep green tree pythons. I think for the most part, it is kind of, you know, simple recessive with the red and yellow um, neonates with green tree pythons. They do have, I know they've proven it too, you know, uh, uh, homozygous red. Um, which is an animal that produces all red neonates when paired to anything. So I can't speak a whole lot on the green tree pythons, but yeah, I mean we've gone way into it as far as that goes. <laughs> we always talk about that. Well, because just um, anything. Yeah, I'm just uh, interested to know about the null allele thing <laughs> because it just seems like with some of these really polygenic species, we like to call things morphs. That like, are just um, bread. like crested geckos, Amazon tree bows, green tree pythons. Um, I already texted them. But there's only so much you can go back and know for sure. Like, I always want one plus one equals two. And I hate when it that, that makes it simple. <laughs> but it seems like that, that these, makes it simple with these kinds of animals. It never equals two, it never is. And, and uh, even some of the you know some so we know we have some of these mutations like the hypo mutation and that's one let's talk on that a little bit because it's a it's a mutation that i keep and it's kind of under some scrutiny right now there's no doubt that um it is a mutation um it's an it's it's an incomplete dominant mutation um and the basically super form is is a white snake um and so with that it's so hard to discern what actually is a hypo um because of the natural variability variability of uh, amazon tree boas what is the um what is it supposed to what does the visual hypo look like so it started out like a solid yellow a- animal right um the guy who proved this out he he found a very nice looking solid yellow animal um I think it was an import or it, it was at a pet store or something like that. And he paired it up and produced more, you know, um, solid looking Amazons. And he ended up pairing them together and, and producing uh, leucistic Amazon tree boas. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing you have with that is the line breeding going on to, pr- you know, to produce the eventual gene, the, the leucistic animal, you're having line breeding. So you're breeding, uh, you know, solid yellow animal to solid yellow animal to produce this. Um, and so it was thought that, Hey, you, you pair this hypo up, you're going to get solid yellow animals. That's why it's called a hypo. Um, and that's what defines it. But we're seeing quite the contrary to that now. Um, when the hypo gene is being paired to more patterned animals, um, or they've even done a leucistic to a calico, 
Um, and you got all animals that look like multicolored normal Amazon tree boas. So by the normal, the norm as far as genetics work, you should paraleucistic and get all hypos, correct? Exactly. Yes. Um, and so we know that's what happened. All those animals are hypos. It's just because of how variable they are. <laughs> it's not. No, I get it. I get well, it. there's just such a variance so, in the normals that. Yeah. What people are getting hung up on is hypo is short for hypomelanistic. So it's a lacking melanin. And it's not completely exempt from melanin, obviously, but it's a lack of black pigment. Um, so you have a natural variability of that, where some of these animals, are, you would say no way in hell is that a hypo animal, but it carries this gene um, and, it, and, it, and it produces leucistic animals. And even the leucistic animals have patterns. Some of them. Damn. Yes. So you're having these crazy patterned leucistic animals, um, which even by definition kind of, ex, ex, you know, allows for some um, melanin, uh, leucism. Uh, it allows for some melanin. Um, but what I can say is, is this gene is pretty much identical to um, the fire boa constrictor. I'm not that where you so you'll have to explain. Oh gosh, <laughs> oh. dang it! <laughs> I was hoping that You're would trying be easy. To make it easy. <laughs> yeah, um, you get an animal that looks slightly, you know, paler than normal or or like, something. Like an ivory. That they yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's the same with uh, ball pythons, right? They have a, a fire ball python right. that produces a white leucistic animal, right? As a but it has yellow spots. Yes, exactly. So it's it's the same gene with Amazons that you see in other animals, but but because of how variable, there's no normal Amazon ever. Exactly, it's very difficult, Um, and you're you're seeing hypo Amazons now that um, it's hard to distinguish from normals, and it's I don't I I can't tell you what. what the distinguishing features are of that gene. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I thought for a little bit with um, some of the animals, the hypo animals that I had produced, um, they had pink tongues. Um, And so I was like, Oh, you know, maybe, you know, pink tongues, uh, you know, maybe that's a little thing, but I look at my founding animal and he's got a solid black tongue. So that's not it. And they've got a lightish color. eye. you know, you'll see some of the, uh, You'll see it's a it's a um, it's a it's a pale yellow animal, and, and you'll see you know some white striping behind the eyes, mm-hmm. um, and I see that in some of my hype or pretty much all of my hypos actually, um, but uh, I see that in animals that um, don't come from this line, uh, animals that could also be considered hypo uh, because they're lacking melanin that aren't related to this. The only difference is they don't produce white snakes when paired to another, you know, hypo animal. So what's causing them to have that reduced melanin if they're not making more hypo? Uh, I would say some of it is the natural variability. variability. Uh, some of it is, is line breeding. Mm-hmm. So line breeding just fucks up understanding ATBs, well, basically. 
<laughs> it's all confusing. ATBs <laughs> fuck up knowing ATBs. <laughs> but, yeah, it's 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 tricky. For sure. But how many um, generations are in on the hypos? Uh, maybe maybe three or so. Mm. Um, I I would think, you know, there was probably probably several generations at at the originator. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, uh, maybe I've I've got I've got one generation. I'll have two maybe this year. Um, but uh, if you're you're pairing these. It is a genetic mutation that's been kind of line bred. And so if you're pairing these up to unrelated um, animals that don't, you know, don't share the phenotype, you're sort of diluting it Mm -hmm. and and further complicating it. So I don't know that the generation helps with that. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it generally leads you astray as far as you're not just going to go be like, okay, let's prove that this is a mutation by breeding it to a garden and then fucking bringing you right back to square one. So you Exactly, and that's what's happened. <laughs> that's what happened. Um, I uh, My initial hypo pairing was to a, a heavily patterned animal. Um, I Actually, the one of the uh, founding females of one of my red lines, um, and I produced, I didn't produce any um, red animals. I produced... I did produce about half the litter um, looking somewhat hypo and kind of distinguishable. Um, But as they, um, it took a little bit for them to mature into the hypo coloration where I'm like, oh man, it looks like a translucent bearded dragon or something, you know, like you can see through the underside of it and you feed it and you can see all the blood vessels and everything like that. Um, It was very pale. Um, yellow, even when compared to uh, solid yellow, uh, normal animal. Mm-hmm. Um, but as they mature, it becomes less clear. Um, and I have some of those animals that I'm like, man, this is a hypo for sure. That now as, um, you know, mature animals, they, they sort of look questionable. Mm-hmm. But I still think it's important to sort of with the red animals, whereas you see that color as a baby because that is going to be kind of the true color in my opinion. Whereas as a hypo baby, when you see that, um, just, you know, distinguished color, that's a hypo, even if it matures and it develops more black coloration or it looks more like a normal yellow as it matures, that that is still a hypo animal. And I'm hoping, um, through breeding trials to prove that kind of, now, are you really straying away from mixing hypo now with other mutations, just not to get confused? Um, so with the hypo calico, um, they had a pairing, or uh, sorry, leucistic. So that's a, that's basically a super hypo. Yeah. yeah um, you know, paired to a calico, and they produced all these normals, um, none of which express the calico gene i'm assuming because the calico gene is linked to the red coloration you know um and so you're getting overpowered by the the hypo gene which hypo is sort of yellow i guess in coloration and so you're getting overpowered and you're not producing calicos that's not to say uh to confuse things further (laughs) that those animals won't produce calicos because they they very possibly can they just aren't expressing visually the calico gene (laughs) 
So everything is dominant but recessive, but maybe uh, it's, it's very. I I hope I'm not sounding like an idiot, but it, it seems to. I know it's possible that those animals. So fifty. Per, oh shit. Uh-uh. <laughs> Can you see me? Yep, yeah. Okay. So because that calico gene is is a dominant gene and and it produces that way, you know, roughly half of those animals are going to produce like a calico. They just aren't expressing it because it's been overpowered. Mm-hmm. Um and and that's it works that way. Uh, I I just, I'm not I'm not explaining it like a geneticist, but um, it, it it does work that way, and and so that that really complicates things. So I would be hesitant to pair my hypo to a calico animal. Um, what happens to be what happens to express no matter what um, is the tiger gene, um, and it, you can see it in every color phase, um, and it also is compatible with calicos where you get hypo or tiger calicos. Um, and you see a visual expression of both genes. So um, I wouldn't be hesitant pairing a hypo to a tiger. And I've, I've done that pairing myself. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I had some, uh, I had some issues with the litter. Um, and, and so my sample size is less than I would like it to be. Um, but I'm having a, you know, I can't say for one a hundred percent certainty what is a hypo tiger or what is not, but it's quite possible that I have some. Mm-hmm. So, are you repeating that pairing as much as possible to figure out and try to prove out? <clears throat> um, so really, the way to cut through all the bullshit, um, so to speak, is don't outcross your um, hypos too much. You want to produce a leucistic animal. That is the like end all be all. You produce a leucistic and you pair it to things because then you you know everything you produce is a hypo animal. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it looks like. And you know, yeah, you could kind of try to figure out what the you know markers are for the hypo gene, but I I don't know if you can. Like I don't know if you can. And I don't know how long it will take you to do that. Yeah. But if you cut through all the bullshit and you produce a leucistic, you will produce hypos, and it doesn't matter what they look like. Now, does that, so that's does that go tend to have a lot more people into the tiger? Since you said there's a little controversy around hypo, are more people leaning towards tigers and leopards and that kind of stuff? The the tiger and leopard gene has been around for a longer period of time, um, so yes, more people have that gene. And then I, you know, I don't know if it's true or not, but a lot of people say, "Oh, you know, I, I'm into Amazon Trebos for the color, so I, I don't want a leucistic Amazon." Um, to me, that's fucking badass. I will take a white Amazon Treboa any day, um, and so I'm pursuing that a little bit. But I don't want to outcross my hypos too much. I want to, you know, prove my animal is a hypo and, and produce some leucistics. So, um, and and that that is kind of the key to working on that gene. Right. So out of your, um, like five pairings or so, how many are you working with any animals that may be just normals as far as gardens or yellows or reds? Um, as far as, uh, 
normals go this year. I'm trying to make, uh, well, I can kind of tell you my pairs so far. I've got a, um, there were some questions with the hypogene again, and I did it cause I said, what the hell I'll keep them all if I have to, um, what happens when you pair, uh, you know, a hypo, a Gulf Coast hypo to an animal that could be considered hypo, um, that, that, that is not from that line. Um, will you be able to tell the offspring apart? Um, will you be able to tell what's hypo, what's not, what's normal? Uh, I don't know. So I paired, uh, a Gulf Coast hypo to a very nice, um, yellow and, and well, bicolored, um, hypomelanistic animal that's unrelated to that line. Um, and she's gravid currently. So that'll be that. Um, that's kind of for my fun. Um, I am doing a, a pairing, uh, a nice solid yellow male to a, a solid yellow female. And when I, when I say that they do still have a little bit of orange pattern, but for the most part, they're solid yellow, mm-hmm. um, and to sort of refine yellows because I do like patternless animals. I like yellows. I like reds. I like all the colors they come in. Um, and so that, that is one of my projects. That's a normal, mm-hmm. um, uh, so tigers have been worked with for a long time. Um, and it's a dominant gene. You can have genetically speaking homozygous dominant animals where it, it's a super, a super tiger. Um, and, and it's not, it's not an incomplete dominant or, you know, people might call it a co-dominant. Mm. Uh, um, but well, anyway, you know Nick to well my understanding, not to say codom. Exactly, to my understanding, <laughs> there aren't codominant genes in reptiles. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine. I just feel like a lot of people feel that way. Yet it is such still a common. No, I get shit on for saying incomplete. Okay, dominant. well, you say it all the time, and I feel like a lot. Well, at least a lot of people we've had on this podcast agree because with we only you. have smart people on here. Duh. Also, we only have people who are friends with Nick Martin and who agree with us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the real thing. Is they're friends with Nick Martin. So, but like, yeah, you know. well, I'm also talked to. I mean, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Warren Booth. But he, yeah. he is a geneticist by, uh, you know, job. That, that is his job. And, uh, you know, he'll tell you the same thing. So that's kind of I've been corrected on that. And, and uh, that's, you know, that's good enough. Those are credible sources, in my opinion. So right. uh, I'm kind of going with that. Um, anyways. Oh, your yeah, puppy I sounds really sad. We, yeah, we he's land. locked in here with me. Someone locked him in here with me. <laughs> we lend a lot of our <laughs> shitty genetics from, like, ball python days in the 90s when people were just trying to scrap shit together before the internet. So it's Hold, like, hold on a second. I'm going to let Go my dog out of this room. Okay. Go for it. So I think, like, people have really gone heavy on what we initiated what we thought was true unfortunately in the hobby when what's with anything what started it kind of still holds so we still call everything code even though a lot has changed you're you're never going to be completely rid of what they did in the beginning we're hypocritical because we call chondros chondros when they're really morelia veritas and they're green tree pythons so it's like we're assholes to it so you're just like, picking and choosing what you're, yeah, what you're an asshole about. Or like, God forbid you call a popwin an olive. I fucking hate that. But that doesn't really we mean anything. about that today. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't mean anything. So we're sticking um, on some stuff, not on others. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not the, uh, you know, end-all, be-all. So uh, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to make a huge deal about that. Um, and, and I, you know, I'm not a geneticist, so, mm-hmm. um, I can't say personally, so uh, we've, but we've heard about paradox Amazons. Have you seen those in captivity in the U S yes. Uh, one of someone I, I just know from Facebook. Um, I think his name is Nima Zier or Zier or something like that. Um, I'm sorry if you're listening and I butchered your name. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but he got, uh, he got a group of them that were uh, imported through Bushmaster. And I remember seeing that Bushmaster list and I really wish I would have got them with Amazons. um, You do seem to get the chimera thing going on where you will have a random one pop up um, in a litter. And, and that might, that might be a genetic chimera where um, it's basically two animals fused together. And I'm sure you're familiar or semi-familiar with that um it's just, it's but the paradox gene has only been proven to be a genetic mutation in what kenyan sambo is i believe right um it does however appear to have some sort of inheritance um with amazon tree is where you will see half a litter or so um with one litter depending on the certain you know the parents and there's only been a few of them um you'll see that half a litter will pop up that way and i wouldn't expect that if it were just a chimera right yeah i mean if people have said it gets tiresome when you see someone with a ball python that has a paradox and they say we're gonna breed them together and see because it never is inheritable mm-hmm. it seems to only be inheritable like he said in kenyan sambo which is like I mean, maybe it could totally be a thing in boas. I don't know. If if one animal expresses it, it seems like any animal can express it. It's possible. I mean, genetics, for the most part, is it's, you know, a worldwide thing. Like, you know, uh, there are albino people or, you know, piebald people. It, it, it's a gene you see uh, all the way through to reptiles and, you know, people. And so if you see it with one species, it, it might be, um, you know, possible with another species. But again, uh, as far as I'm aware, it's only been proven with Sambos, uh, but it does look very promising with Amazon tree bows to be um, inherited some way, some um, way that you can figure out where you see um, litters of, of paradox animals. So Now you think with all the animals we've gotten imported over the years, there'd be more things like obvious things like albinism or something like that. Have there been any like fly by night things that didn't prove out or anything that's come up that is interesting? Too many of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, from what I can gather, there've been several, uh, what what we would call T you know, T negative albino Amazon tree bows that have been in the uh, industry um, for a period of time, uh, maybe someone produced some hets. Uh, I don't know. There are none that I'm aware of now. Um, there've been a few animals that look sort of like a, a T negative an- or a T positive animal, uh, that have been brought in. And, I'm uh, one in particular that I can think of, I know is dead, uh, never reproduced. Um, so there are a lot of missed opportunities. Um, and I would love to get my hands on an albino Amazon tree bow. That would be amazing. I don't now, even know what that only, looks like. Is the only differential <laughs> that's what I was gonna ask. Is the only difference, you know, a red pupil than an orange animal or a yellow animal? From what I can tell from the shitty Polaroids that I've seen, yes. 
It's coming in on a price list from like 96 or something. Yeah, it's before like digital cameras. Yeah, so uh, that hasn't come to fruition yet. Uh, I don't know who has them or if there are any or any hits. Um, It might be a while until we find out. Um, I would spend a great deal of money on an imported albino Amazon tree bow if I could. It's always interesting that old school shit where like cam because I... I look at uh, recently. I've seen the annulated tree boa with perennial, like in quotes, black phase or something. I'm like, that's fucking interesting. I know he probably won't send me a picture of it, but a black phase annulated tree boa seems it or like, you know, you'll have uh, Amazon tree boa like cool color or like multicolored or like might phase like just random fucking words and you're like i don't know what this looks like but maybe it'd be cool if i got it so um according to you know what cam says on his like disclaimer if it's over a certain price range he'll send you a picture of it if you ask for it um the the annulated tree bow it's sort of while their color sort of varies um and, and can vary, I guess, from what I understand. I don't have any myself, um, but what from what I understand can vary from you know night to day or or you know something like that. Uh, they sort of come in in a brown or, or earth tone color, which would be the black phase, um, and and then the sort of orange color. Mm-hmm. Both have like the uh, pattern, the, the normal pattern, but that's that's my understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the annulated. I never really knew anything about them because I've never seen actual <laughs> pictures of what the, the black phase was or whatever. But, you know, of course, you can buy colored Amazons on there and non-colored. That's how it's split up. And I'm yeah. sure that's how, you know, we see so many animals at shows and stuff like that. And, I mean, with, with animals coming in for, like, $65 each and stuff... How do you feel that like captive breeding animals will affect them? Um, I think you have to you have to market the quality of your product. Um, you you have to do everything to make your animal stand out. Um, you have to you know do a pedigree. You know have a website. Uh, keep track of the the litter. Keep track of the parents. Do things that'll make it stand out because they are so variable that really nice ones do come in um come in as actually i really have to pee i'm sorry guys no you're <laughs> is that, fine is that cool yeah we both yeah, i'm trying i'm trying like bouncing i'm sitting on a yoga ball i'm like bouncing tell, around trying to tell. hold it in okay all right i'll be right back it's very portland sorry i thought he was in california no he's in portland oregon oh but he's on pst time I just said, <laughs> or as most of our people that we talk to think of CST time. I don't know why I thought he's in California. Everyone gets confused. Where does Nick live? Zones. Washington. Oh, so yeah, Basically they're really thing, close. Right? Yeah, yeah. We should. <laughs> yeah, but um, he said, yeah, like you said, we should get a blackhead guy on here. And then he said, Derek Roddy, who's a blackhead guy, aka just Moralia guy as well. But um, I mean, I loved those blackhead pythons. I know. Um, I like split them too. rock reptiles. I believe we're it gonna was. keep bringing it up because we really Fucking like them. Outrageous yellow Swiss and red with blackheads and just oh, with black they have blackheads. They have blackheads. It's not what? just a clever name. They're blackheaded what? pythons for real. It. Like for real. Like all the way through, like blackheads. Oh, is their yeah. neck black too? 
They're a little bit of the neck. Yeah, mostly the head, though. You know, is their tongue crazy. black? I don't know. I think so. <laughs> so. Are their eyes black? Everything else. <laughs> <laughs> you got me way off. So, so <laughs> this is a topic that I I, I think is very important. I, I'd like to talk on a little bit, Go I guess. Where um, having some experience in the Green Tree Python community, they've done a very good job promoting captive sales. Yeah. Um, and I would love to see more of that um, in the Amazon Trebo or Corrales community. Um, it's not. Um, it hasn't. We don't have the pedigrees that, that the green tree pythons do, and, and we haven't been seriously breeding these as long as they have. Well, also, luckily, but, we don't carry the high dollar amounts also, though, which is kind of... Yes. Um, you know, some of the mutations carry a decent price, but, you, you know, you go all the way down. You know, I'll sell, a, I'll sell a garden animal for $50, you know? Like, I would really, uh, and not to sound like a dick, I would love to encourage people to buy captive born and bred animals from you know a reputable breeder like that is the way to go and you know i i'll provide full support you know you want questions about husbandry you know questions about the animal questions about you know the color of it you know, whatever you want you know i'll provide support you need help uh you know getting it feeding whatever you shouldn't but it, it might you know you, you know that never that that always happens something you know sometimes uh, you know, an established animal going through the stress of a move might need help, uh, you know, getting reestablished. Um, but I would love to encourage people, please support the people that are doing, that are breeding these animals. Uh-uh. Um, you know, support these people uh, the way the Condor community does. Don't, uh, you know, don't buy an imported Amazon tree boa and ask someone that knows what they're doing, what color fit, what color morph is this? You know, like, is this special? How do I take care of it? Don't do that. You know, go through a reputable breeder, do your homework, uh, have them, you know, tell you how to do this. They've been through it. They've experienced it, you know, through the trials and, uh, and support them. You know, these are, these are businesses or hobbies, um, and, and they cost money and, and, uh, and, you know, people that have been doing it a while and, uh, are doing a very good job at it and doing it responsibly, you know, deserve that support instead of buying from an importer. Mm-hmm. Now we see a lot of green tree pythons and Amazon tree boas at shows, but what we don't see is a lot of captive born and bred Amazons and green tree boas. So we're well kept or well kept <laughs> as far as the importers go. So what can we do to perpetuate more of a captive born and bred, you know, mentality to it? Um, well, I used to do more shows. Um, I used to do shows quite frequently and I kind of got out of it for a little while, um, but I'm getting back into it now. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping, you know, it, just have a local presence uh, and, you know, put your product out there for people to see. It's different being in person. You know, I can't, uh, I can't travel to all these shows in different States and everything like that, but I can locally, um, you know, Oregon and Washington I can, you know, make my face known with local people and 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 show them what uh, captive born and bred, uh, top quality pedigreed Amazons look like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I got to do my part, and and other people got to do theirs. Uh, but 
on 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 Facebook, I, I see it all the time. You know, people buying uh, you know stuff from uh, auctions or you know importers, and and then turning around and and asking the more experienced people, you know, how to take care of it or you know what kind of morph it is. Um, and I would just encourage to go straight to the source. How that's been so fucking more prevalent this year, by the way, the auction thing than ever. And we know we both know we're talking about one person, but like it's been <laughs> much more prevalent this year than ever before. There's been like one a fuck it. There's been like five a week, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't I'm not going to talk shit about anybody. So. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're toeing the line, mister. But I'm just saying, like, it's been much more, with the Amazons in particular, I don't know if Amazons are becoming more popular or it's just becoming more easily, you know, gotten from fucking Bushmaster, just like everyone else has been. Um, I, yeah, I, I think the, uh, I think the popularity um, has kind of leveled off a little bit with the Trevos. Um, but when I first started getting into them, you know, the popularity was skyrocketing. Um, and I've seen some people build, uh, you know, amazing collections that I have no idea what happened to them, you know, or, you know, what they're doing. Do they still keep them? Occasionally I try to reach out to someone with some old contact information and be like, Hey, you know, are you still breeding? Do you still have some animals? You know, if I'm in the market, uh, to salvage some of these things, because, uh, just like the albinos, uh, I would like to see, you know, potential, you know, genetic mutations or special animals, uh, go to people that are still breeding, um, and, and, and to propagate that in, 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 in the population. Now we see a lot, we hear a lot about emeralds having like that, um, that regurg syndrome. Are there any things that these animals come in with from the wild that we need to keep in mind when keeping? Um, just quarantine man. Um, and one of the biggest, uh, my biggest worry would be mites because mm -hmm. if they do come in with some kind of sickness, that's how it's going to spread. You know, you're, you're probably have, you probably have the common sense not to use the same uh, tools that you're using with the rest of your collection. Um, you know, you're probably not trying, attempting to feed this wild caught animal. And if it bites it and drops it, you're going to go feed it to one of your established collection. Like that's probably not going to happen. But if it comes in with mites, and it's got something that's uh, commutable. That's how it's going to spread, right? Um, so just just quarantine your animals. Uh, Preventamite's a good a good tool. And, and, <laughs> I I, <laughs> I use it. It shows. You know, I spray my tablecloth with Preventamite and set my stuff on top of there. Um, the, just that, yeah. I get the urge I, to spray I, everyone that walks by at this point. <laughs> you got a reptile on your shoulder? <laughs> yeah, your bearded dragon. Yeah. Uh, yep. So if anyone... uh, that's that's the nice thing about having uh, bitey animals, you know. I mean, they'll ask to hold it. You're like, yeah, it'll bite you. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. So you don't have like twenty people coming up and handling all your snakes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if anyone's looking for good information on how to keep um amazon tree bow is where can they go um i would say uh you know right now i guess like my main social media is facebook um and so there's some uh there's some groups on facebook that have uh 
that sort of carried over some of the members from uh, some of the forums uh, that people have been doing this a long time and and people that kind of lurk in the shadows uh, on these on these Facebook groups, uh, you know, um, Amazon, Amazon tree boas uh, group on on Facebook or uh, um, I'm drawing a total blank on on the full <laughs> names of some of these like the Corrales. the Corrales. Yeah, the Corrales groups on Facebook. Any of those, man. Google it. Get on there. That's what he's trying to say. Yeah. No, you asked yeah. the question. Use the use the use the internet machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, but see, y'all use. There that. aren't a lot. There aren't a lot of websites currently that have like care sheets on these things. My my best advice would be to get in touch with a breeder. Mm-hmm. Get in touch with them. You know, be buddies with them. Talk talk to them. Most of them are very friendly, and we'll talk to you about reptile shit because that's what we do we talk about reptile shit to people who like reptiles exactly i mean most people are glad to talk about that other than you know other than you asking about someone else's snake oh yeah i mean if you're gonna ask the breeder um buy from the breeder first I mean, it's oh yeah. Hey, what do you think about the snake I bought from someone else? Yeah, you're like, oh, it has mites. Now I have to help you treat it with the mites that you got from the other guy. Like, yeah, yeah. So again, again, I encourage you to buy captive born and bred, and then you got your straight. You're right at the source. Right at the source. You know, you you say, hey, dude, what's up with this? It it's not feeding. You know, like it it should be. What what can I do? Right, and, and. Anybody, any breeder that is worth his salt will help you with that, you know, mm-hmm. especially if you bought an animal from them. And most of the time, they're pretty friendly, even if you haven't bought the animal from them. But especially if you bought the animal from them, they're more than willing to, to give you help, in my experience. Absolutely. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, I have a website that I try to keep current. Um, I do a bad job at that sometimes. But it's www.hdarboreal.weebly.com. Um, you can look me up at fa- on Facebook. Uh, I have an HD Arboreals page and, uh, you know, my personal page, which is Dayton Croydon. Um, so you can look me up on Facebook. Um, yeah. Or yeah, post on some of these groups on Facebook. I, I lurk on them, you know. <laughs> I, 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 put, I give my, my two cents and... Uh, stuff like that so i think that's what people need to know about some of the rare species and stuff like that like it's so easy to get in touch with the people who are good at it because like there's only so many people that are doing it in general right so whenever you see someone else interested in something weird you're like oh yeah i like that guy like if someone likes sanzinia then you're gonna help the guy because they know what sanzinia is or like you know like it's it's hard to resist the import thing i get it because you want to be that person with the next big thing, you know, like people want to be the, the like, Oh fuck. I got the new morph. You know, no one else has this. I have it. I'm the new guy. It brings credit to my name. Mm-hmm. I've got the new thing, but uh, you know, if you're, and, and it's hard for me to kind of, I'm being a little hypocritical here because I want to be the best, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not ever satisfied with uh, you know, uh, the quality of animals that I'm producing or, or, you know, my husbandry, I'm always pushing for better. Um, and I'm always looking for those weird, unusual animals, but I I've been doing this for 10 years, you know, I've been doing this for, yeah, I've been producing animals for 10 years. Um, 
And so I, I've got some experience and, and that's kind of the way to go. If you're starting, you know, pick your, pick your, pick your own niche and, and uh, do it that way. Buy the best captive born and bred animals you can and, and selectively breed them for, for what you like. Yeah. That's a great way to end the podcast. Yeah. So Dane, thank you so much for being on and talking to us for two hours about all types of good stuff. All the confusing nature of ATVs. <laughs> <laughs> this was awesome. Thank you guys for having me. It was a pleasure. Anytime. I'm definitely leaving this conversation with more knowledge and more confusion. <laughs> but, you know, that's the way a lot of them go. <laughs> yeah. That's a common thing when you get into, you know, these kinds of animals. Especially for some reason, our boil animals are so difficult. Damn trees, why. man. This, once they get into those trees, they just get <laughs> they all just wacky. They just go crazy. You want to put our stuff out? Um, Yeah, so if you want to get in talk... Ugh, nope, I don't want to do this right. If you want to get in... Com- <laughs> <laughs> if you want to contact us, we are on Facebook, obviously on YouTube, um, and on Instagram, Port City Pythons. We have a website, portcitypythons.com. Uh, if our snakes ever learn to lock up, we'll have babies this summer on there. <laughs> and obviously the t-shirts are on there. The re- the Rugrats t-shirt was hard to find for a second, but we made it easier. So order the Rugrats reptile New shirt. New March stuff is online. The Indigo shirt, the reptile shirt, and the Chondro shirt. If you're into that, calling it old taxonomy, fuck off. Everyone calls it chondro. Um, Don't yeah. buy imported animals, you fucks. Okay. <laughs> just kidding. Um, hey, guys, I've got some advice for you. Just some parting advice. Go for it. Um, be, be fucking stubborn. If you have trouble with your animals, stick it out. Like, you know, hard work pays off. Absolutely. Just put in the hard work. Don't quit on a project. Um, if you have trouble with a project, just stick it out. I'm so close to getting rid of my fucking hog nose. I swear to God, that was like the biggest pain in the ass I've ever had in my life. Yeah, you know how I feel about that. I've been ready to let those go. You're not preaching to the right person. I have no interest in that. That might be the one. Ex- I see every project through, but I swear to God, those fucking snow hog nose. Project. <laughs> I don't know if you ever had those real pain. No, I haven't. Been feeding tuna scent for fucking two years. Tuna scent? Yeah, it needs to be sent. Nice. It needs to be washed off with dish soap and then dipped in <laughs> fucking tuna and then fed to the snake because you know that's what they do. <laughs> so I'm seeing that through. Okay. Don't worry. <laughs> but man, thank you so much for being on and for being cool and we'll have to talk to you about shit in the future awesome thank you guys you guys have been awesome feel free to contact me anytime you guys want about absolutely anything. i Ooh. might want to see that emerald clutch and we may have to do Ooh. something about that if you end up litter sorry boa people holy fuck oh, yeah litter. hey let me know if you want some tree boas i got a lot of nice ones around here we only got I one, point you in the right direction usually come in twos so we gotta figure exactly. out exactly <laughs> exactly okay alright thanks good night. Have, a good one. have a good night <laughs> okay wait I-